thousand hours. You, the people, have the power. The power to create happiness. Let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power. But they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us all unite. All right, so we are live. Let me get the radio off. <laughs> I just love that song. My daughter, actually, I have, I put like certain playlists on for us to like listen to during the day. And I like to put on like wholesome, good songs. So that was the song that she found. And we've been listening to it now for days. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, guys, listen. Welcome to On the Wake Up Radio. This is Truth, Freedom, and Sophia with your host, Sophia. All of our shows are live on onthewakeupradio.com. Also catch replays on SoundCloud, Google and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Follow us on Instagram at On the Wake Up Radio. Also support us at PayPal slash On the Wake Up Radio at gmail.com. Check out our new streaming site, OTW Tube. It's where we have all of our shows uploaded. Everyone has their own profile. You can create your own profile and upload, have your own expression of videos and information that you think is important. It's a really amazing site. Go check that out again, otwtube.com. Also, Cash App, dollar sign on the Wake Up Radio. Find us at on the Wake Up Radio.com. How is everyone doing? tonight i'm really excited for this show thank you cindy always giving me the thumbs up and shout out to super producer cindy ashby for being the best producer on earth always there always stepping up always doing things not just for us for you guys the listeners that's who's on her mind when she's thinking of putting all this stuff together so we all deserve her she deserves a big thanks from all of us and tonight so i'm gonna start right away with UFO disclosure. So I want to get that little chat out of the way. It's all over the place. Everywhere you look, turn left right now, it is all about UFOs. What are they? The military and the government playing dumb. Although most people in our government don't have a clue. They're not even on that level of reality that they even would know any inside real information. It's all just whatever's leaked. But I find it really interesting what's happening now. And it makes me wonder why. Why now? Why are they picking now to start rolling all this information out? Why are they picking now to even bring up UA, I'm sorry, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon? Why are they playing this cat and mouse game with us right now about this whole disclosure situation? And it's because we're not going to get real disclosure. I personally don't believe we will. Whatever we get is going to be to purposefully steer the masses in a certain direction. We know this is their game. But is this a false flag or is this the way that they're going to prep us all for Space Force technology. Is this just some big gimmick to get us all engaged in this and then say, huh, it's not aliens, it's humans. This is Space Force technology that we've been working on and no one knew about it. Ha ha. Oh, I almost fell off my chair. That's what they might do. Who knows? But we know that they, they are always up to tricks. So what I'm going to do is because I follow 
And I, UFOs have always been my thing. Since I was a kid, I was drawn into the spirit realm. I was drawn into other worlds, other dimensions. And I've been following a lot of UFO researchers, investigators for a long time. And I follow two specific that I have a very high regard for. And that's Dr. Stephen Greer and, that's, and then also uh, Richard Dolan. Both have two different point of views on what this disclosure situation is about. So I'm going to play the clips from both people that I think is, are intriguing. They're both very intriguing um, perspectives and worth a, worth a share. So first, I'm going to share Dr. Stephen Greer's. Now, this is a clip. It's actually a like um, an advertising clip for the new movie that he has out called Countdown to Disclosure. I watched it this weekend. I can share the audio from um, the movie, but Prime Video won't let me share um, the actual video. So I'm just going to play this beginning clip because this is pretty much what I want to share anyways. And it's pretty informative. I think it's terrifying. I mean, this seems potentially like one of the biggest stories of my lifetime. And I don't care if it's about UFOs or whatever you call it. Something that we don't understand is getting very close to our military aircraft. The technologies related to energy generation should come out first. This hybrid aerospace underwater craft is able to basically generate an electromagnetic field. It is uh, President Trump's belief that the United States must remain as dominant in space as we are on land and sea and the air. And your charge is to see to that mission with the United States Space Force. I mean, there were three people on my team assassinated and I was almost killed. With a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. It's a matter of national security. But apparently just recovered are off-world vehicles not made on this earth. The president will respond to the subject the way they want them to. There's a black box with all the technologies that would give us a civilization that's sustainable, peaceful, etc. And it's been around for decades. Everybody's asking the biggest question in the world. Are we alone? Look, it's holding, it's that installed out there. The narrative that's being launched, which is a false narrative, is that we're not alone and that those civilizations are a threat. The problem is, is that the public has to be informed and involved. Uh, give me a brief statement saying, hallelujah, I'm, you know, I'm finally vindicated. I don't, I, I'm not completely convinced they're gonna let this stay like it is. But the people who are surrounding that level of, of our politicians and government are not told like the movie Independence Day, where Will say, let's go kick alien butt. Okay, so that's Dr. Stephen Greer, and he is of the opinion that this is going to be revealed Space Force technology, and that the real extraterrestrials that he's been interacting with and the people that he's, that the witnesses that he's been in contact with that have interacted with, that those are totally benevolent space aliens that have an alt, another purpose that the government isn't disclosing. And he's of the, you know, theory that this is all going to be the, on the rolling out of Space Force technology. They're trying to brainstorm, how do we do this? This is how they're going to get our minds acclimated. That is what 
he believes. Now, Richard Dolan, I have two clips I'm going to play from him. I'm going to, you know, go to the one clip and then fast forward to the next, where he doesn't believe that. He thinks that there's already hybrids living among us and that this is something maybe scarier. But I'll let him speak for it instead of me trying to explain it. Here we go. And let me just make sure that the audio is clicked on. Let me make sure. Screen share, share. Excuse me, guys. Sorry. Yeah, so you got to click share audio or else it's just pointless. Now, if you don't want to talk about abductions, forget abductions. If, if you don't want to focus on that. One thing that is absolutely happening around the world every single day, every day, especially every night, are the appearance of ultra stealthy craft. Basically in your neighborhood, because it's in everyone's neighborhood, because it is around the world. These things are reported globally and moving low over the sky, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., in the dead of night. They're noticed often by just lone individuals who, who sometimes just happen to be awake at the time. They're outside. And the fact is these reports are consistent and they are worldwide. Now, look, who the hell is behind this? These are flying saucer-shaped objects. Sometimes they're perfect triangular-shaped objects. But none of them look normal, all right? I keep thinking, does nobody care about this? Something important is behind this. And I'm sorry, but you're going to have to have make one hell of an argument that this is a fully human black budget operation. Just as if you want to argue, as some people do or seem to do, that all abductions are fully human operations. This is a global thing. All right. This is massive. So what I am saying here is that there are indeed legitimate reasons at least to ponder whether or not these objects constitute a threat of some sort. It's not an illegitimate position. And those people who keep trying to make it illegitimate are doing a disservice to all of us who are trying to have a genuine conversation about this unknown, at least officially unknown phenomenon. Some people know, <clears throat> pardon me, by the way, I'm fighting a sore throat. It'll be a race to see if I lose my voice before I finish this presentation. So we'll just sing think I'll make it. But my, my point is, you know, we have some thoughts about what this is, but we, we do not have full agreement. And while there is not full agreement, I think it is a great disservice for some people to try to lock out opposing, opposing points of view that they just happen to say is incorrect. All right. And then furthermore, to essentially, you know, call out the other side as somehow intentionally creating disinformation and the like. I think that's an unfair statement to make. All right. Again, I'm just saying that there are indeed legitimate reasons, at least to consider that these objects might constitute a threat to our society. I think automatically leaving that option off the table, it's just always struck me as absurdly naive. Do we honestly think that there is no such thing anywhere as a, an interstellar economic hitman? You know, nowhere out there. If you've read the book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins, is there, is there a society that might be interstellar that does this? Why is that impossible? Not. 
in my own volumes of history of UFOs and the national security state, which where I researched this subject, I spent a great deal of time focusing on military encounters with UFOs. And I did this for a few reasons. One, I, I just simply considered it very important, which it is. But also I did it to make a point, which is to show that if the military is encountering these unexplained things, then they are lying their asses off every time they deny the reality of them. That was one thing I really wanted to make clear. And plus with the military, you often get a paper trail. It's all very useful. But in studying those military encounters, like it was quite evident that this constituted a problem, a serious problem for the United States military and also for the militaries. Well, I won't leave, you know, boy, you with too much going on with him. But he basically believes that kind of like Jack Harry, Jack Harry believes that there is a type three civilization that is that is overseeing or in some way engaged in our planet as some experiment or whatnot. And he ties in the cow mutilations, the human mutilations and all of these strange things that go on on Earth, that paranormal and alien uh, and paranormal and uh, extraterrestrial, whatever you call it. And he thinks that this is all coming from a type three civilization. Now, any civilized, any any um, outside, say, extraterrestrial presence that will be invasive to humans like that, that would experiment, say, against humans without our free will permission, they get permission from our government. That can't be good. This can't be a civilization. If this is what's going on, that that wants us to grow and and, and have some sort of um, uh, evolution or jump in evolution. This it seems more like the farm theory, like a DNA farm that like Earth. And I'm not saying, hey, I want to make something clear. All of these theories I ponder, I speculate about. But let's make sure we all stay grounded and not try and fall into belief. Like, oh, that's what I think it sh- sounds better to me. So now I believe that the world is fucked up because everyone thinks like that, where they want to hear something that they think al- that aligns with them, which is great. We all want to know where we're at informatively wise. So we want to know what information aligns with with what we- where we're at. But we don't want to fall into belief where then we're locked into just that one point of view and other information that should be considered isn't. So I just want to make that clear that that is not what I'm doing. I'm not saying I believe this is exactly what's going on. This is speculatory talk. So I want to make that clear because the, the thing with the US, with the alien presence, I believe it is both. I believe that there is a presence that respects the universal laws, that respects in work, say, for the God, the mother, God, the father, that whole that whole um, lineage. And then there's another lineage of a type three civilization, extraterrestrials that have abandoned the natural order and the natural laws. And they don't follow those anymore because they're so far removed from nature. And I believe that the type three civilization Jack Carey speaks of is exactly that. The other civilization that has been removed from nature and now they survive off harvesting human life force in earth and in, 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 in other worlds and other earths in their life force that's what i believe but i do believe the other aspect the stephen greer the one the beings that he has say investigated about in himself has interacted with those are the the 
ultra, extra, interdimensionals, ultra terrestrials, extraterrestrials. We don't know what name to call them. I won't label any anything on them, but we'll say those different terms. The other ones respect work there from the lineage of, of nature, God the mother, God the father, and they're trying to protect it, but they have to do it in a way that does not override the laws, the universal laws. So I believe that those are the two civilizations that we're interacting with. And at that point, say, when the Mahabharata, the, the ancient Vedic texts, speak of the wars in heaven, the nuclear wars that went on, I mean, these are texts from thousands of years ago, speaking about nuclear bombs, speaking about flying vimanas, these ships and everything else. So we know that we are devolved. That's one thing I will say I believe fully is that we're devolved. I know it. I don't believe it. I know it. That is a knowing that I know we're devolved. And at one point we were interacting with other species because we were able to see and perceive the other realms, the other worlds. We used to say, here's the circle, realities in the center. We used to interact with reality because we used to be in a symbiotic relationship in a oneness with nature. We're not operating like that anymore. So we're far removed from reality. I, I, I know that, that much. But I believe that those are the two, I, and I'm saying I believe as I'm trying to not say I believe. <laughs> uh, those are the two things I think in that I speculate that we are interacting with two civilizations, one that is of the natural organic lineage and one that is of the unnatural inorganic lineage. And yes, exactly. And I'm going to read this article because this article kind of talks about the investigations of people like Linda Moulton Howe, who speak of the Zeta Reticulans, the Ebens, the extraterrestrial biological entities, which are a mixture of cyborg um, genetic material and, com and computer, gen computer um, what's it called, robots, basically. So this article discusses that, and I felt like, well, you know what, I'm going to be discussing aliens and all that. This is important. This is, this is something that needs to be added in here as well. Project Serpo and the Zeta Reticuli Exchange Program. In November 1977, Steven Spielberg released his movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It was a financial and artistic success. It received a, it received a number of accolades, including nominations for four Golden Globes and eight Academy Awards. In 2007, the U.S. Library of Congress deemed the film culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant, and here's why, and chose it for preservation in the library for all time. For those new to this topic, the title of Steven Spielberg's movie came from the UFO classification developed by astronomer and UFO researcher J. Allen Hynek's classification of UFO encounters. Plus encounters of the first kind, someone Oops, okay, so encounters of the first kind. Someone sees a UFO at a distance closer than 500 feet and is able to give a pretty good description of the object. Encounters of the second kind. The viewing of a UFO creates a physical sensation. For example, the encounter may involve a feeling of heat or a feeling of paralysis in the body. Encounters of the third kind in which a type of animated creature accompanies the UFO encounter. Heinick was an advisor to the U.S. Air Force on several of its UFO study projects. While he was bound by security clearances, he was undoubtedly privy to information that he was unable to share publicly. He also had a cameo appearance in the Spielberg movie. 
In the movie, there are human encounters with extraterrestrials, ETs. And in the end, one person voluntarily decide, decides to join the ETs and travel with them back to their planet. Could there be any truth to this story? Is it possible that Earth has contacted ETs or that Americans have visited other planets? Read about the Serbo Exchange Program and President Ronald Reagan's knowledge of Project Serbo. So the exchange program between the Earth and Project Serpo and the Zeta Reticuli system. The planet Serpo Exchange Project traces its origins to the famous Roswell incident, where UFO reportedly crashed in the plains near Socorro, New Mexico, May 31st, 1947. The remains of the craft and one living ET, along with the bodies of his four dead companions, were taken to Roswell for analysis. Meanwhile, the government reported to the American public by telling them they had only seen weather wet balloons. As it turned out, there were two crashes. The remains of a second UFO were not found until about two years later. It appeared the two spacecraft had crashed into each other. By then, six bodies of dead aliens had decomposed, so there wasn't much of them left. Even so, the remains were taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for evaluation and study. The Roswell Living ET, later named EBE-1 for extraterrestrial biological entity, was friendly and calm. He attempted to communicate but spoke atonal qualities that Americans were never able to understand or speak. According to UFO researcher Len Kasten, EBE-1 seemed very intelligent and was able to quickly learn English. He informed his keepers that he was from a planet called Serpo, about 40 light years away from the Zeta Reticuli system. EBE-1 worked with salvage communication device in his space vehicle to try and contact his home planet. He tried six times, and all six times the communication system failed. In early 1952, EBE-1 sadly passed away without ever making contact with his home. His effort was not unrewarded. In December 1952, the military made contact with the alien race trans referred to as Ebens, who lived on planet Serpo and the Zeta Reticuli system, and communications transpired over the next nine years. During this time, an exchange program between the inhabitants of the two planets, Earth and Serpo, was created. Twelve American astronauts, ten men, two women, were selected for the experiment. Now let me interject here. Gary McKinnon, who hacked into the NASA database, he found documents saying off-planet officers, off-world officers. So, I mean, could, could, they be have talk, could, have they, could they have been talking about them or the Mars colony? Who knows? There were strict requirements in order for a person to join the program, and the training was rigorous. In short, the ones chosen for the journey could not be married or have children, and tough it was not a requirement. Having living family members like parents or siblings was not ideal. The assignment required their unquestioned absence for 10 years. No one on Earth should be concerned about their whereabouts for the duration of the mission. The exchange was scheduled to recur at Holloman Air Force Base on April 24, 1964, with approval from President John F. Kennedy. Two Eben spaceships landed as planned. A, con a contingent of American government personnel greeted them. The 12 American astronauts prepared to embark on their adventure for some reason. The exchange got postponed. The Ebens retrieved the remains of their dead comrades and left. The Ebens returned in early 1965, July 1965, and, and picked up their passengers, according to Kasten, only one event stayed behind on Earth. And the article continues, but because I'm running out of time, because I want to get my main topic in, I want to also share this clip of Cliff Stone. He recently died, but he is a whistleblower, and his story is so remarkable, and it's so, again, important information to consider that I want to share his story. This is a seven minute video. I will probably stop it before the seven minutes. And this is not a cop any copyright issues because this is a public news segment. So I'm going to share it now. And when I need to stop it, I will. 
of an elite government unit tasked with investigating and retrieving fallen UFOs has died, remembering Clifford Stone. This is Gaia News, Special Edition. While there are countless reports of UFO sightings and ET contacts, it's the accounts of the military insiders that have been the most compelling. Sergeant Clifford Stone was one of the first military whistleblowers to come forward 20 years ago. According to Stone, his story began in childhood when the military found out about his ET contact experiences and recruited him into the army at the age of 16. There, while he officially worked as a clerk, he claimed to have actually been part of a secret government UFO crash retrieval team. Clifford has provided thousands of top secret documents to researchers in the space for years. They have left an impact on many people about the nature of alien life visiting this planet. Stephen Greer, the founder of the Disclosure Project, has known Clifford since the late 1990s when he began to come forward with his experiences. Sergeant Stone was on a, what they called NBC team. It's a nuclear biological chemical team. That was their cover. And those teams uh, were had a compartment that dealt with retrieving extraterrestrial vehicles and of extraterrestrial life forms that had been recovered from the result of our targeting those craft and shooting them down. So he was a frontline responder in a classified project back in the 1960s. So this goes back, you know, more than 50 years, man. Um, and learned a great deal from his firsthand encounters and then subsequently began researching it even after his retirement from the military. Investigative journalist Paula Harris has also known Clifford for many years and helped him publish his last book, Eyes Only. He said he did 12 crash retrievals, three of them in Vietnam. The first one is, was in Indian Town Gap, Indiana in 1969. So of course I'm shocked because 1969, I mean, everybody just thinks of Roswell. But since then there have been crash retrievals right in the United States. Over the last 20 years, Sergeant Stone has described many of his secret missions in great detail. He did so a few years ago on Gaia's Cosmic Disclosure. Right around midnight, maybe a little after, my unit commander came up to me and says, we have an aircraft we believe to be a Soviet aircraft. That crash, not too far from here. And we're recovering that craft. Then we start seeing these lights in the area where we're going. As we got closer, we saw the people moving around. Then we saw the craft. The craft was like the heel of your shoe, the side that was closest to me, which would be on the left side of the craft. There was this a typical gray creature. It was half in, half out. And I, you know, could identify on a very human level the loss they felt. Sergeant Stone has also talked about missions where he encountered living ETs and was often very emotional in his testimony about his feelings towards them and about their agenda on Earth. One of them. You know, his consistent they were very, very uh, enlightened, uh, very high consciousness, very highly intelligent, uh, 
we're really preoccupied with our tendency to create war and doing so after we had discovered nuclear power and weapons, but also what we were doing to the biosphere. They were very, very concerned and are concerned with the damage we're doing to the biosphere and to the earth. So very interesting. Also that clip in Cliffstone, that guy, I've watched so many interviews with him and he does, he always, what was super emotional and he always tell the story of when he freed the the et being he he had an ability see the military here's what we gotta understand here okay we're not all walking around here on the same level with the same things going on from the same genetic lineages okay so oh good okay some of us ha are here already with abilities so Cliff Stone was one of those people. He had telepathic abilities. So he was able to telepathically communicate with the extraterrestrials when they would retrieve them. And one time he said that he was he was brought, you know, the extraterrestrial communicated with him telepathically, basically to the cell. I said holding one of these aliens in a cell and the alien wanted to be freed. He convinced Cliff Stone to free him because he said, if you don't, everyone here will die. Because my my beings will are, are they're gonna come get me regardless. So either you free me and I go to my my pickup spot, or everyone here dies. That's the story he tells, and, and it's remarkable. And again, when I tell it, it sounds like crazy, but when he tells it and, and you feel his emotion, you know these people are not lying. We're born and we're bred to think that everything that sounds fantastic must be a lie. It must be. That sounds fantastic. Why? Why are minds like that? Is it by design? It certainly is. We're stuck in something right now. Every human being on this planet is stuck in something. Are we in the midst of freeing ourselves from that something and moving on and graduating on and going back home to the true human being? I believe so. I believe a lot of us are on that journey right now. A lot of us are. And it might not be time for the others, which is fine. We're all souls. We're all eternal. Where those souls end up, that's where they end up. But we can only teach others by truly living and applying to ourselves. I'm going to read a few things because I read, I actually have Dante's Inferno, the two, the three parts. And I want to read this blip from this book, um, The Secret Teaching of All Ages. Now, I read a lot of esoteric wisdom. That doesn't mean I follow anything. I like to know things, <laughs> that's all. So this is what I'm gonna read from this picture right here, which is of what Dante is describing when he is writing about the Inferno. The topography of Dante's spiritual world. Charles Allen Dinsmore writes, he, Dante, maintained the earth is round having a hemisphere of land in the center of which stands jerusalem the other hemisphere originally contained land but when lucifer hurled from heaven was about to fall upon it the soil veiled itself with the sea and came to the other side of the globe making a hemisphere of land and a hemisphere of water the interior of the earth also retreated before the descending lucifer leaving a vast 
conical shaped cavity, which extended from the center of the globe to the surface of the inhabited hemisphere. The void which evil made in the world is the abode of lost souls and is divided into nine circles of which the seventh is subdivided into three smaller circles, the eighth into 10 ditches and the ninth into four belts at the center of the earth and thus at the point farthest from God. <laughs> is Lucifer with his head and body in one hemisphere and his legs in the other. So that when Virgil and Dante turned upon his hunch, they passed the center of gravity and emerged from one hemisphere into the other. In the midst of the hemisphere of water stands a conical mountain, purgatory, rising in seven steps. On its summit is the terrestrial paradise of Garden of Eden, where Dante met Beatrice. According to the Divine Comedy, as the souls climb the seven steps of purgatory, it is cleansed as the of the seven mortal sins, and it then ascends through the seven spheres of the Potomac universe. To each of the planets is assigned one of the seven virtues. And in the eighth sphere, the soul receives a knowledge of spiritual truths, and in the ninth or highest, it is absorbed into the celestial mysteries. Oh, nice. So, again, I am not... Um, I'm not um, co-signing any like specific religious worldview, but that description is, in my opinion, this is what I've always believed. And today I was looking through this book again and I read that and I was like, oh my God, I believe what Dante is describing is the hell that they are trying to create here on this planet. It is, they want us locked into these layers of hell. And how would they do that? through your free will, by getting you locked into vices, by getting you to not be focused on the higher self, on the higher aspects on life, on the higher things that make you feel good and give you a different kind of pleasure. They want us locked and trapped into these carnal pleasures so that our souls are continuously coming here and repeating the same cycle. And I believe that the true purpose of what we're all meant to do here on this earth now is to make our way back home by going through the hero's journey. I believe the hero's journey, which is in a work of Joseph Campbell, who is the um, creator of the Chronicles of Narnia and many other beautiful works, but he was all about the hero's journey. And I believe that the hero's journey is the true natural rhythm that each human being is its soul and body supposed to go through as a human being to discover the true self, the higher self, the self that resides in the higher realms, unification. I receive a lot of information and downloads through pictures. I never receive things through words. I always receive things through like a instant knowing with a picture to it. And when I am shown the true human being. Here's what I'm shown. I am literally shown a realm, right? Say, say, here's a line, here's earth. Okay, there's a realm that has a cord through your crown chakra that goes up. It's almost like, like this. Each person walking around ha is supposed to, not everyone does, not even the ones who are practiced. We're supposed to have a waterfall flowing out of this heavenly realm down into our chakra and it's supposed to power us from head to toe and the energy in the, in the field is supposed to create a field around you. It's supposed to go like the different poles, right? So the energy is supposed to come back. They have stymied that whole system by A, from birth, not allowing us to ever really get out of the infant mind. Think about whatever infant requires. Food, water, shelter, 
How many of us are adults and still don't provide those things? We're not all walking around here growing our own food, providing ourselves with our own basic needs, which keeps us spiritually in an infant state. And that is why we're all walking around here, different ages, and everyone is spiritually as an infant. And this is why religions are able to then hijack your stream, your life stream, so that you're then feeding that religion for the people who have that attraction to the higher, to higher knowledge. It's not even higher knowledge that attracts people to religion, actually, sadly. It's usually an emptiness inside that they feel. And it's because we've been emptied out. The program is in already instilled in most people through epigenetics because you're, you're say, say go 100 years back, right, in your family. Certain things were done purposefully so that by this time, things would be seared into the genetics, into the DNA. And, and, and human beings would be genetically turned off. They've been turning us off. Thousand years, every thousand years. Another de-evolution, another de-evolution, another de-evolution, another, another same script, different cast situation going on where they just change the religious structures. They reword it. They re -up update the characters so that the present people can then again have their spiritual stream hijacked. And I think that's what's going on. I think that we all need to get back to home and we have to do that through spiritual healing. Because no one here knows what the fuck is going on. And if we start really saying that, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I know these certain things. I know that I am not uh, uh, an evil being. They want you to believe that you can't overcome things. They want you weak in your mind. And to keep you weak in the mind, even if you don't consciously believe this, your subconscious mind believes that you are a little, um, little insignificant human. And that you need to always look to something higher. And that higher thing, yeah, that's only one thing you need to look to for higher. And that's yourself. You are your own hero. The hero's journey is a discovery that you are the hero of your own life. And that through overcoming certain obstacles and going through certain journeys, see, they stop people from entering the hero's journey. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a clip that explains what the hero's journey is. I'll cut it off when it starts to get into the steps, so it doesn't drag on. But this will pretty much encapsulate what I'm trying to say. So, I hope you guys are uh, are feeling the videos tonight. <laughs> Embedded deep in the human psyche lies the narrative of what Joseph Campbell called the hero's journey. This is more than just a mere mythological narrative. This is a deep truth that applies to every human story. This is a journey about self-discovery, living a fully realized life, or as Campbell would simply state, following your bliss. The hero's journey was his all-embracing metaphor for the deep inner journey of transformation that heroes in every time and place seem to share. A path that leads them through great movements of separation, descent, ordeal, and return. It is going full circle from the ordinary world to the special world and back again. This same narrative spans across all cultures, eras, religions, and tales, including not only your favorite stories like Star Wars and Harry Potter, but within the lives of every human being on the planet. The journey stages may be avoided, repeated, or shifted depending upon the needs of the individual story. The hero's journey can be just as much as an inner voyage into the unconscious mind as it is an external adventure.
There are a number of steps that a hero must go through for self-transformation. Typically, there are 12 steps that usually go on. Okay, so that little blip, you know, sums it up. If you uh, want to ponder this, the 12 steps. And it's interesting how there's 12 steps, right? There's 12 steps, but, and there's a 12-step program. And so I find that really interesting that the hero's journey has 12 steps to it. And then there's a, the AA 12-step program, which kind of probably takes you to, to some version of this hero's journey. Um, but I think that is what, as a human being, that's what we should do. And we are meant to engage, learn, bring the special world, as he calls it, back with us into this world and impart it into this world and help this world by doing so. But what, what the program has done is it stops you from ever even taking that first step because most people, they don't even want to ponder those deeper aspects of life because they know where it leads. It leads to this journey. So the program sets up blockers in you to be afraid of this journey, to repel this journey, to any time you come close to starting this journey, derailing you. Something overrides and says no. And that's the programming, blocking you, not wanting you to truly grow, not wanting you to take the step to full realization of understanding what your true ability as a human being is. We're magical. We're metaphysical. We exist in two places at once. We're portals. We're time machines. We can send our consciousness anywhere at any time. But most people don't even think about consciousness. They don't live in the present. They don't live conscious. They think they do. Because what they've done is they've taken in the accepted worldview that I need to construct an ideal of who I want to be and then do things to attain that ideal self. This is the opposite of the hero's journey. If, if it's in reverse, which we live in an inverted world. So it would make sense that they would have an inversion of this, taking you deeper and further and further away from yourself from your truth and bringing you further and further away from the special world, keeping you locked into this world, this world that is meant to be one of infinite potentialities, possibilities, as long as you're engaging in the I am, you're living in the I am and you're engaging with the present. But they figured out a way to get nobody engaged in the present. And it's not through purposeful malevolence of your parents, but your parents didn't fully love you. Most of our parents didn't know how to love. And that is where we all need to start. Even people who had one of the best upbringings were not loved properly because their parents weren't loved properly and their parents weren't loved properly. We all have an idea of love and we try our best to fulfill that idea of love when we're in a relationship, when we're in our parental roles or whatever. But when we start to realize I was never really loved, you won't make that same mistake. You won't make that same mistake. I've been through these these steps. I've been, not the hero's journey. Well, actually, I've been, I've been through those steps, actually. Yeah, I've been on the hero's journey. I'm probably stuck in one of the stages. <laughs> I'm probably stuck right before, you know, you come back to special. But I mean, honestly, our parent, when I've done these, these mental exercises, these hypnotic states where I had to visit myself as a child, that was always what I had to do, was infuse that child with the mother's love. But I didn't get it from the, the my own mother. She did the best she could with the tools she had. She had no tools for love. None of us do. We have to create our own tools for love by realizing that the version of love we're giving on this earth isn't true, 
and it isn't real. It's pain. It's wrong. It's inverted. And they don't even know that. And the way to break the cycle is to realize that because it's not good or evil. Let's get out of this, this polarized mind where we're either good or we're evil or we're good or we're evil. You don't have to engage in that, you know. We don't have to engage in that. Because if you live, live life looking at that, that's, that is a limited life. Because you won't see that, some, that things are circumstantial and contextual. Wrath isn't always evil. It could be a righteous wrath that is well-deserved. So we can't say anger is, is evil. No. It's how we use those things. It's us. We are the transmuters of good or evil. We decide, do I want to use this tool, be it spiritual, physical, metaphysical? Do I want to use this tool for good or for evil? And whenever we choose to use it for good, we have to be willing to really fulfill and, 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 and uh, what is it, follow through. Reponents of, oh, I wanted to read that, sorry. Reponents of socialism and communism use words in a particularly Orwellian way, imparting meanings to words directly opposite to what their etymologies would lead us to suspect. Thank you. Perfect. Exactly. And let's read this other one. Inversion of truth. The political left, particularly in its extreme forms, has always been skillful in the use of language to further its ends. Yes, it's called Rules for Radicals. That's a book by... Alinsky, that literally is a playbook for how to manipulate people emotionally, how to use words against them, how to use meanings against them, how to infer things. Like literally, it's, it's, a, it's a blueprint. And that's why we're living through the bamboozle we're living through, where these people are bamboozling us, they're doing baits and switch, and it's a big lie. That's why we got to just stop engaging in that. We've got to choose, I am, and I am good. Get it? When you're in the I am, you're not, you are what you are. And when you live in the I am, what does that even mean? Well, it means to be really accountable in your life, to choose to recognize that you're not all of these ideals that you have of yourself, these, uh, you know, and ideas of yourself. You are just what you're being in the moment. That is what you are. And at any moment, you can choose to be something else. The choice has to be there accompanied by the action. And it's important we start thinking of life on that deeper level, because that's where you start growing and you start changing and you start opening yourself up to higher realms, higher frequencies. And it then becomes just magnetic. It becomes, uh, what's it called? Infectious. We allow, see, again, there's the word transmute, which means you can be the alchemist in your own life where you can transmute things around you. It's a choice. Misery and suffering are choices. And what is the root of suffering? It's want and desire. And what is controlling your wants, needs, and desires right now? Is it your true self, your higher self, the, the eternal you? Or is it this material ego, the material world uh, influenced ego that is controlling your wants, needs, and desires? It's the ego because the ego is the programmed version of you. It's the you you created to accommodate everybody around you and everything around you to be what everybody wants you to be. It's the you that feels comfortable in the world because the true you probably at one point did something, expressed themselves in some way and started to realize that other people maybe weren't like that. So we, we squash those things in us that are separate 
Meanwhile, those things in us that are separate from others are the things that make us shine that actually give us the puzzle piece to add to the whole. If we're all walking around as a, as a cloned puzzle piece, will that puzzle ever complete? It won't. Everyone be like, oh, this we have the same puzzle. How can we how do we see the whole picture if we're all the fucking same? Start valuing your true self and do that by connecting to who you were as a child. I'm going to read this little blip. Oh, I'm going to read this little comment first. You can put it there. The ego is basically your identity or the who you think you are. Your ego is usually constructed of a name, a personality, and a story exactly. This is why I'm trying to, in, in my own mind, infuse the I am mentality so that I'm not engaging with my ego or in my ego, so that I am engaging in my true higher self. I'll be what I'll be. I create whatever I create, or I am the existing one. The traditional English translation with Judaism favors, I will be what I will be because there is no present, exactly, present tense of the verb to be in the Hebrew language. Exactly. I'm going to read, this is about the world soul, and I want to give a shout out to my beloved friend. You say beloved to live in people. I don't know. <laughs> my beloved friend. To my amazing friend, Zest, who showed me this book a few weeks ago. She shared it on her page. And I'm like, I need that book. So I bought it. And it really is a beautiful book. I really recommend this. $8.99, buy it. Because it, it gives you an intro to this other world. And it, it opens the mind to these ancient practices. Ancient people were higher, higher evolved than we are than we were because they interacted with reality on a daily basis. They had to, they knew everything about the earth. So the world soul. In our modern lives, many of us feel disconnected from the natural world. We're no longer dependent upon the pattern of climate and seasons and have largely abandoned the rituals and sacred ceremonies that once expressed our intimate relationship with the earth. Yet, from the earliest times, people have instinctively sensed a vital spiritual force linking the whole of a material universe. They believed that the, that the earth was a living creature, animated by a soul like that of a human being. And this view has been adopted by many ecology movements in the West today. In respecting the sacredness of our earth, we recognize and acknowledge its connection with the harmony of the individual soul. And I believe I, I align with that because I know that there is a part of me, my soul, that is engaged with every living thing on this planet because there is a language of the soul and the soul doesn't speak in words. Words, words are actually the cause of most of our issues because words have gotten in the way. Words have created a buffering system between understanding. So that is another disconnect that the program does by getting us locked into such words all the time versus essences. And we used to, at one point, communicate through essences and only used words for magical purposes, for true creation, because our words hold a vibration. So although in the, in the dictionary, like she pointed out, a word might say, oh, this means this, and this means something great. But the vibration might have a negative vibration to it that does, that interacts with your body. And your, so your body takes on the negative vibration, but the mental conscious mind isn't picking up on it because the mental conscious mind isn't open to the unconscious world, isn't open to that other realm that exists. You see, 
It actually is all about harmonizing the systems, harmonizing the mind, body, spirit, harmonizing your to your natural rhythm. They have taken everybody out of their natural rhythm. They have removed a majority of humans out of the natural rhythm by locking us into these loops, into these milestone things. It's, again, the inversion of the hero's journey. The hero's journey used to organically happen because when you live that close to nature, that close to reality, you see things on a way deeper level in a way deeper way, and you feel things in a different way, which opens you already to that curiosity, and that actually creates the environment for you to go and and ponder that curiosity and, and fulfill that curiosity. This world that we live in now does not ever allow for an environment that promotes that kind of thing or that kind of thinking, expanded thinking. It tells you to expand your thinking, and this is what expanded thinking is. And if you think like this, then you're an expanded thinker. That's the mentality everyone's living in, and we got to get out of it. Because if you think you're an expanded thinker, guess what? You're not. Because no expanded thinker would say, I'm an expanded thinker. Because no, that's not never finished. These things are never finished. There's no, this is what I, what it is, and that, that locks us in. You're locking yourself in to a specific reality through limiting your interaction with other potentialities through engaging with certain thoughts. See, the creation process starts in the mental. But it doesn't stay there. You can't create if you leave it in the thought phase. And that's what, again, the program does. It keeps everyone pondering the same thought, probably there for a whole fucking lifetime. Excuse my language tonight. I, I got to get it out. I'm a little bit irritated with people this week. You know, I find that too many people are living false. And so the, mo the people who live in the most false are the people who sit there and they hold their you know, what is that thing called? You know, their staff and they're like, oh, I am wise and I know things. So you should listen to me, you know, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the world being filled with those kinds of people. And those people are the, are, are the worst kind because they're leading people astray. They're pretending to be the shepherd when they're really not the shepherd. They might be the shepherd assistant and they, they, they want to be the shepherd because that's, you know, the identity that they've decided that belongs to them. And, and it's just, again, it's, an, it's not their natural rhythm, so it's just not jiving for me. <laughs> and that's it. People need to start getting perspective about themselves. I want to read this because this is an article that, um, that I read off of Medium this morning when I was sitting in the hair salon. And it really struck with me because it struck with this topic. And I had this topic already picked out for a few days. And this literally validated my little theory here that we're not born with real love and that we're we're all effed up because we're stuck in this infant state of mind. This is not what they're saying, but they say this basically in so many words. So if I just stop reading, it's because it goes on and on. It's a really long article, but I'll read enough till that I get the point across. So the name of the article, the title is Gifted Children Learn to Deny Their Emotions to Please Their Parents. And that might be why you're depressed. We are all born into this world dependent on our mother's love, not just, not just for the sustenance of breast milk, but for the emotional connection and support that all human beings need to stay alive. Although it seems obvious to us now, such a radical proposition as the idea that infants need a mother's love and attention was once the subject of serious scientific inquiry. Go figure. One of the most famous studies was first published in 1945. 
and it tracked dozens of infants in experimental and control groups. I just want to say I do not co-sign this experiment that I'm about to read about. It's disturbing that they would do this kind of experiment with infants and then the infants would die as a result. But anyways, the experimental group was denied basic love and attention and breastfed to think that children had to go, infants had to go through this just makes me sick. Over one third of those in the deprived control group died in infancy. By contrast, those in the penal nursery thrived in their earliest years. Nevertheless, those children who later experienced a prolonged absence of their mothers descended into depression, depressive apathy, loss of appetite, insomnia, and autoerotic activity. In each case, Spitz reported the mother's return restored the child to vitality. Spitz concluded that securing a mother's love and attention was essential to life. Later, Spitz was inspired by Harry Harlow's brutalistic experiments with Reese's monkeys separated from their mothers. He realized that Harlow's mechanical mothers could never foster healthy development because real mothers do more than offer comfort or sustenance. In contrast to machines, a real mother has her own needs, distractions, and competing co commitments. Because of these, a real mother will inevitably frustrate her child, postpone its gratification, or disprove of the child's behavior. Although many modern parents might harbor the indulgent idealization that they would never deny or delay their toddler's need for comfort, comfort is not good, people. Comfort, attention, and sucker, Spitz's view was that some frustration was necessary to develop of infancy into young childhood at an age almost certainly older than one year and less than three. This frustration enables the infant to overcome its narcissistic tendencies. Now we know we, we are talking all about how the society is so crazily narcissistic. Maybe this is why, because everyone's being spoiled and they're being spoiled literally rotten. It's rotting your brain, your psyche, and your emotionals. Uh, okay, uh, at, at an age almost certainly older than one and less than three. This frustration enables the infant to overcome its narcissistic tendencies and to develop the distinction between self and non-self, between ego and ID, and to create a superego. In other words, mother-child conflicts are essential for normal child development to occur, and unrestricted gratification probably hinders personality development. Healthy human development requires and evolve in negotiation between the infant and its, its external world. As the child matures from a newborn to an infant, to a toddler, to a young child, that negotiation requires the child to learn how to modify itself and its behavior to improve interactions with its mother and eventually others. On an instinctive level, the child understands that survival depends upon it. It is when the infant is forced to give up too much of their negotiation that the damage of deprivation is likely to follow them into adulthood. Consider the origins of anorexia. Now, this is where my theory gets kind of fulfilled. In a, in a woman named Beatrice, as described by Alice Miller in the book, The Drama of the Gifted Child. Depression, a denial of the self. Depression consists of a denial of one's own emotional reactions. This denial begins in the service of an absolutely essential adaption, adaptation during childhood that indicates a very early injury. There are many children who have not been free right from the beginning to experience the very simplest of feelings such as discontent, anger, rage, pain, even hunger, and of course enjoyment of their own bodies. Beatrice, 58, the daughter of, a, of missionary parents and a sufferer of deep depression, never knew whether she was hungry or not. 
Her mother had written proudly in her diary that at age of three months, Beatrice had already learned to wait to be fed and suppress her hunger without crying. Such circumstances a child may learn very early in life, what she's not supposed to feel. Beatrice was not physically mistreated in her youth. She did, however, have to learn as a small infant how to make her mother happy by not crying, by not being hungry, by not having any needs at all. She suffered first from anorexia and then throughout her adult life from severe depression. Beatrice learned as an infant to deny her need for food to ensure that she could maintain herself in good standing with her mother. Not every infant will respond to a distracted, irritated, or angry mother in this way, but Beatrice did. And once she discovered that denial of her own hunger worked, she perfected this as a child. Given the rapid state of brain development in infancy, it is likely that Beatrice's young brain was organized around the survival principle of appetite suppression in a way that most of us cannot imagine. By adolescence, Beatrice's preternatural ability to disconnect from her own hunger must have been honed by thousands of hours of unconscious practice. Beatrice, as an infant, found a creative, resourceful solution to the problem of her mother's withdrawal by denying her own feelings. This is what author Miller names by gifted. Only an extraordinary infant could devise such a clever solution or complete a successful adaption. Beatrice's earliest experiences taught her that emotional denial was essential to her survival. To make matters worse, Beatrice might have received encouragement, attention, or rewards for her anorexia from other sources. Now, 58 years later, Beatrice has finally discovered that the denial of her feelings that she originally learned to please her mother is the cause of her depression. According to Miller, Beatrice must learn to experience her feelings, not just hunger, but anger for the baby who was denied. I think that speaks volumes because as children, it might not be the hunger situation like Beatrice had, developed but we do this because we want to please the adults in our life and if the adults in our lives are dysfunctional which they are by program design then we will do these things which we have done i know as a child though a little secret i did not do that i just told my mother i don't think you're a good mother i don't think you're doing this right i was really probably the child you didn't want and i got the superlative in high school as teachers were a nightmare for that same reason because I'd be like, um, this doesn't make sense, or I don't really believe this, or blah, blah, blah. you know, I gave people a hard time. I did not suppress my emotions, but I can see in human beings on, on average how we do this as children. We want nothing but to please our parents because they they provide our basic survival needs. And this is where we're all still in an infant state of mind, looking at the government in in, in the grocery stores to provide our basic survival needs. We're not in ever in a state where we're in charge of our own survival, which means we're not engaging with life in a way that is healthy, that allows us to grow and grow out of stages into new stages, develop in other stages and grow through the phases of life, the natural phases of life. Instead, again, the program keeps you locked in a specific worldview that tells you that that once you reach this acquired state, check mark retirement and enjoy your life. And that's all you got to do. That is a depressing way of living. Life is an adventure. And we have to stop having this Hollywood view of what everything is. See, when we say adventure, you automatically in your mind picture having like a backpack on hiking through the freaking forest like adventure. And that's not always adventure. You know, we have to make our own. Stop having this downloaded view of everything so that when you hear a word, you have that programmed response in your mind. 
that's not always conscious. So you can't always override these automatic, autocratic responses. And this is what I'm leading to. This program that this world is locked into, this left, right, this choosing, labeling, this deciding who you're going to be, and then doing all these things to create that as a projection, never living a life of substance, it's all part of the program. And again, that doesn't mean end your life today, uproot your life, end your job. No, but start engaging in reality. Start knowing that you're a slave. And every day you get up and you work, and that part of you is a slave and that you're working every day to, to unslave yourself. And that right there could get you through the aspect of you that still has to be in this world, not of it. Don't be of it. Of it is saying this is the identity I want to be and then I'm doing all these projected things to achieve it. That is being of the world. Being in the world is knowing who you are, staying true to it and using the world for what it is. A means to a freaking end. In this real world, the real reality, the true earth, engage in it. Explore it. Go outside. Rub your hand on a blade of grass. Do some earthing. Walk. Take in deep breaths. Every so often, stop, pause, and engage in the moment. It's easy. Life is easy. I'm going to read this. I'm going to end with this. Do I have time, Cindy? I have lots of time. Oh, good. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm not going to end with this, but I'm going to read this and I'll end with two articles that prove that show we're magnificent beings. And if we put real, uh, if we know where to put our energy into our magnetic field, into ourselves, into our higher selves, if we know where to put our energy, our life force comes back to you, it creates a field and it creates abilities and it, cre and it, and it brings you back home to the true human. So this is from David Icke's latest book, The Answer. I love David Icke. I, even if I don't agree with every single thing he says, which there, no one should agree with you, every, everything you say. So let's again, get ourselves out of that mindset when we only want to be in, in, with people that, that say, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Oh, I, yeah, 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 I like it. We don't, I don't need to be confirmed. If you know who you are and you know what you know, you don't need someone else to go, oh, you know, I believe what you believe. You want to share your thing and say, yeah, that sounds good. That's great. Yeah, blah, blah. But you shouldn't need, I mean, synchronization is beautiful. I love it. In fact, I thrive on it. But those things happen naturally when you just are in your natural rhythm. You'll have the confirmation you so desperately want, but it won't be so contrived. So anyways, this is from the book, The Answer. And the last chapter, what is the answer? Today I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. That is a quote by Rumi. The answer has multiple strands, but one central core. Change what is happening at the core and everything else must change. This cause and effect is so simple that it will be dismissed by many in the belief that the effect that, I'm sorry, the answer to that apparent complexity of human control must be equally complex. No, no, no. That's what the cult wants us to think. The control system itself is not really complex. Anyway, when you break it down to fundamentals, its foundation is the manipulation of human perception and emotion into low vibrational states and the entanglement of the waves emitted by those states with the frequency band controlled by the cult. Through this connection, the cult further impacts on human perception and emotion on an ongoing feedback loop. 
Gotcha. That's it, really. <laughs> All the perceived complexities are spin-offs from that connection through entanglement. These include everything from psychopathy, conflict and division, to depression, anxiety, and addiction. All result from the cult mentality, psychopathy. The consequences for the population, depression slash anxiety, and the desperation to escape from the effect, addiction. There are two ways to deal with the problem. You can seek a solution or remove the cause. Search for solutions and you will see complexity. Wow, we are in a low vibrational, oh, I'm sorry, uh, and we will see complexity. Identify the cause and you will see simplicity. While we are in a low vibrational state of perception and consciousness, we remain enslaved in the low vibrational archontic stimulation. When we expand into higher vibrational states, we reconnect with levels of awareness outside the simulation, which then stops dictating all our perceptions in the world as it really is. And we really are, comes into focus. Many gurus and spiritual teachers will tell you, often for their own benefit, that the way to achieve such expansion of consciousness is also a complex. We must embark on quests, fasting, meditation, yoga, and lots of communal rituals, endless workshops, green tea, blah, 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 blah. All those things are fine if people choose to go that way. And I'm sure they can be helpful to many. I'm going to tell you, they are. <laughs> but expanding your consciousness to breach the firewalls of the cult is far simpler. And it really is because I've been in times in my life where I was not healthy. I was on pills and I was able to at any time connect when I really, truly tried to. But expanding your consciousness to breach the firewalls of the cult is far simpler and requires just one change your self-identity. What you think you are makes you what you are in terms of life experience, behavior, perception, emotion, and the nature of the waves that you emit as frequency projections of what you think you are. Self-identity is the cult's holy grail because it knows that everything else comes from that. For centuries, it has used religion to, to sell a self-identity self of powerless subordinates to a demanding God. The cult and its unseat agents, most unknowingly, and long frocks will tell you what God wants, or rather what we want. Many versions of what I call God program have been created and subdivided. This again presents the illusion of complexity when the God program is deadly simple, whatever name may appear on the temple door or holy book. Observe any religion, and it's the same blueprint. A version of God or gods is the in invented is invented through a holy book, text, or legend, and men and frocks, now sometimes women, tell you what God or God's demand and the consequences of disobedience. I'll stop there. He's right. We're all being controlled, and we're being controlled through having our frequency being streamed to us, having our perception being streamed to us, having our self-identity being streamed to us by this cult that hates us, that hates God, that literally hates everything Jesus Christ stands for. And when I say Jesus Christ, I'm actually, the real, the real term I want to use is Yeshua. Because the true Yeshua was trying to fight this cult, was breaking this cult programming. He came here to break the programming, to show you the true human, in true human form, what we're capable of if we stop us, uh, interacting and agreeing with this cult. He knew. And I'm going to read a quote from Yeshua. Simple, beautiful. From this book by Aurora, The Galactic Soul History of the Universe. These are her hypnosis sets, um, 
sessions with different people and their, you know, uh, encounters that they had with these other beings, other realms. And Yeshua, honestly, he comes in a lot because he truly is, in the sense, the savior of humanity, if we are willing to be that savior for ourselves. So it's just a simple thing that he says and to start that session. And he says, religion is nothing but restriction and limitation. Love is not that. God is love and that is true. So if God is love, why are you limiting them? And it's true. These religions, these are made in man's image, not God's image, man's image. And we have to stop being afraid to acknowledge that. I talk to so many people from different religious backgrounds. Some are super Catholic, some are born again Christians, some are, um, what are they called? Like they're not Catholic and they're not born against their um, Episcopalian. Those are the three groups from people that I know that are deeply religious. They're in those, one of those three. And they all love when I speak of these things. And you know why they can't? They can't go on. Because at the end of everything I say, what do you think they say to me? Well, the Bible says, but God said this. And how? if that's true, then but the God. So they're still, again, in that mindset that they, they're afraid to believe and expand outside of that because of the fear programming that religion instills in them that if you that God will smite you. No, have no other gods. You can't entertain these thoughts. That's not God. God doesn't isn't a jealous God. You know the Old Testament, the big things of the Old Testament. God was a jealous God. Then that's not God. I don't know what that is. That's something else. Maybe that's Lucifer pretending to be God. Maybe the greatest trick the devil ever played wasn't to convince people he didn't exist. That's the secondary greatest trick. Maybe the first greatest trick was to convince everyone he was God. Graham Hancock said that. I don't want anyone to think I just made that up or anything. Graham Hancock said that. And I uh, I agree with I agree with that statement. I think a lot of these religions that are fear-based, they're they're, they're uh, an, uh, not an entity that was not the true God. It was mimicking God as an experiment. Who knows? Who knows? But we know that that's true. So I will end with these two articles. And for, I'll read this one first, okay? And I'll share it so you guys can read along because it's really beautiful and it makes you think. And it, again, co coincides with what I've been kind of saying about our electromagnetic field and how we need to put our life force and our energy into that and not into all of these outside identities that aren't really adding any substance in our life. So this article is the title, Heart Math, Study Shows Human Hearts Connect Through Earth's Magnetic Field. It's a small little thing. The human heart has always been seen as a seat of consciousness and connection. Now a groundbreaking new study has definitively shown that our hearts are in communication with one another through our connection with the Earth's magnetic field. The Heart Math Institute is a world-renowned research organization whose goal is to help people to reconnect to their hearts. At the core of their work is the understanding that emotions affect the physiological activity in our body. This is what working with the chakras is all about. And by self-regulating, we can be the drivers of that activity. When we get can get the heart to work together with the brain, we can enter into a state of coherence or alignment that dramatically benefits our mental and physical health.
Dr. Rowling McCready is the director of research at the HeartMath Institute and has been spearheading the investigation into different kinds of coherence states. So that's that article. I told you it was just a short little, little thing, but right, really interesting. Our hearts connect through the magnetic field. If we strengthen our own magnetic field, that connection will strengthen. And I think radiation by the, you know, the grid, the grid that's coming up, the, the wax and the wax, all that is to weaken your magnetic field, the bad foods you eat, the bad things you drink, all of it weakens your magnetic field, the GMOs. See, when you eat a fresh fruit, that is an organic, natural thing that grew from where its natural state and it goes from its natural state to your mouth. You're eating life codes. You're eating information from the life source, a.k.a. the sun. And it goes into your body and it feeds those life codes to then your body. And then your body knows something awesome was just given to it that, that feeds it life. So it downloads that code from that food and gives your body life. Well, the same thing goes for the crap food. So when you're putting a crap thing in your body that is not organic, that doesn't have anything of, of value in it for the inside, for your nutritionally, your body downloads that decrepit archontic code and that synthetic code. You see, that's how they're weakening our field. Part of that same, sorry, I actually um, took the, uh, the news article down by accident. And part of that same theme is this other article. Oh, God, why do I do things like this? Also, about our magnetic field and how important it is to our true connection, to ourselves, to each other. Okay, so new theory says consciousness is electromagnetic. Let me share this. New theory says consciousness is like electric. This is not a new theory, by the way. Let me make this clear. All these new discoveries of consciousness, of spirituality, they're not new. These are thousands of years old. The people who were evolved before we were devolved genetically, they knew all this. They lived in harmony with themselves, with nature. They practiced creation life where they, they knew these things. So I just want to put that in there. It's not new. <laughs> New theory says consciousness is electromagnetic. For centuries, humans have tried to determine what is consciousness. How are we able to think and have free will? A new scientific theory says consciousness may be electromagnetic. Philosophers and scientists have debated the nature of consciousness for years. Consciousness, put simply, can be defined as capable of or marked by thought, will, design, or perception. But where does this ability come from? Inside the brain or some external, external, external force? John Joe McFadden, professor of molecular genetics at the University of Surrey, has a new theory. He calls the consciousness electromagnetic information field theory or semi-field theory. So that was that. You can look up those, you know, people if you like want more information on that. But I believe that I've, I, I know that. I believe that. I know that. I know consciousness is electromagnetic and, it, and I know we have our own fields. I know that the, the, the key to spiritual uh, union and bodily health and emotional health is strengthening your the, that magnetic field. Every single person has this field. What they've done is they've disarmed our field. They've disarmed our field again by 
you know, creating like the perfect storm of, a, of an environment that will do that. Radiation, bad food, bad thoughts, bad music, bad movies. I mean, literally everything that your body decodes as information and turns into either life or disease is coming through and, and inundated all around you is adding to the synthesization. Now leave us there. I want to thank everybody for being with me tonight and staying a little longer. Thank you, Cindy, for staying extra long and always providing us with these amazing definitions to help guide people and steer people if you're not familiar with certain language. I believe that the key to true happiness, health, like Joseph Campbell says, the hero's journey, follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. Your bliss is not going to lie to you. And when we were children, we did that. We followed our bliss. We valued our bliss. Your bliss was everything to you. It was all you lived for, literally. And what happens? Someone tells you that that's not acceptable. Parent, adult, whoever, someone you look up to tells you that's not acceptable or that that's not going to get you too far in life with others or with a job or with money. Who knows what reasoning, but they link in there with that faulty programming. And that's where they first unhook the first, the first field cord. So the cords that create the field, they go like this. You know, boom, infinity symbols through the front and back, funnels, everything. And so they unhook it so that that stream isn't going back to you, feeding you life again. It's just out. <laughs> Draining. It's like a, a leak coming out of you, you know, like put, put, put. And that's what they're doing. Every time they hook a new program in you, which when we're small, by the time we're probably 30, there's probably like 70 different programs hooked into you. Like, and I'm just throwing that number out there randomly. Uh, there could be thousands. I don't know. I just said 70, but that's what just came out of me. But there's so many. And they're detaching you from your emotional intelligence, your emotional awareness. Your emotions are what cause your disease. And it's a denial and the suppression of those emotions. Just like that girl not expressing things, not interacting with enough um, resistance, right? Cause severe depression. You're affected by your emotions and the way you interact with your, engage with your emotions and then apply those emotions to your life and to your mentality, your psyche affects your physiological body. It's the chakra chart that I have. It shows you exactly each chakra, the emotional body that it's connected to and then the physiological glands and, and, and physical part of your body it's connected to because they're portals, they're information portals. So whatever information you're given to your body, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, whatever information you're putting in there, your body, like a computer, is decoding and then telling your, you know, your yourself what to download. Like it downloads whatever your code you're putting in it. So if you're putting synth synthetic crap in it all the time, physically, crap from the TV, you know, again, like I said, it's the perfect storm environment to disconnect you, to disengage you, to weaken your field. It's not good. We have to start thinking on, on this level. And when we think on this level, it might sound like a lot of work. It actually just comes very naturally. It takes a good week of retraining your brain. See, when we're born, everything we do, the second we lift our hand, like when we first, when we the first time we lift our finger and do this, it opens a neurological pathway in your brain. The first time you say a sound, it opens a neurological, and all these pathways, this is how programming works, people. 
every time you learn something as a kid and you're growing through different phases, you're engaging with new things, new information, new physical things, it's open, it's firing all these neurons in your brain, telling your brain what patterns to program, what patterns to program that then program your behavior. Your behavior stems from your child. I took two years of child development when I was in high school because I was obsessed with childhood. I knew childhood was the key, always. And children always just write to me. Even now, I go to the park with my kids. All the kids come to me to play. I'm like, I'm not playing today. Go away. I'm not kidding. I'm like, I'm not playing. Today, I spent the afternoon at my friend's house. Her little son was like, come play with me. I'm like, no, with the adults today. Oh, but children are precious because they engage with that other world, that other world of potentiality, possibility, imagination. Imagination is magic. Is magic. So. Um, so I got distracted because my husband, I just heard him say something. So it, it, it all stems from childhood and how we engage with our emotion and the emotional intelligence that we develop. That really does matter. And when we start again, thinking of these little things, we re rearrange our patterning, our neurological patterning, and we really change our lives in every way you can imagine. It's really worth it. It's worth it to invest in yourself. It's worth it to love yourself. It's worth it to want to really know who you are, who the true you is. If you are this magical being, if there's a part of you that is that is eternal, that does have a higher creative force that is behind it, that 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 can imbue, be imbued to you, wouldn't you want to find it? Know her, know him? I would. So again, thanks for watching. This is Truth, Freedom, and Sophia on, on the wakeupradio.com. Shout out again to super producer Cindy Ashby for being just the best, set, setting up this channel, having on the Wake Up Radio, having OTW tube, having a safe space, safe space, a safe place for people to go and really uh, express their true, unique perspective. Because I think that's what makes this world beautiful is when we all engage with our uniqueness and want to show our uniqueness to each other. And remember to catch all of our shows live on onthewakeupradio.com. Catch our replays on SoundCloud, Google and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Follow us on Instagram and also follow me on Instagram, uh, Harmony underscore underscore healing. That is my other page. That is my healing page where I do more of just inspirational stuff and also check out otwtube.com and if you like the content and you want to support us paypal slash on the wake up radio at gmail.com and dollar sign I and mean, cash app dollar sign on the wake up radio thank you everyone enjoy the rest of your weekend you the people have the power the power to create happiness let us use that power let us all unite let us fight for a new world you, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us all unite. OTWTube.com, uncensored free speech platform. Look it up. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Dian. Cindy Ashley Production. Ashley Production. Ashley Production. On the wake up.